The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosque for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Maryland. We've got some shout outs Jeannie and Saray, United Kingdom, Christina and Toscana, Italy, Ben and Cataluna, Spain, Bill in Afghanistan, Lee from Loveland, Colorado, Jan from San Diego, California. Paula from Edmonds, Washington, Pete from Brentwood, California, and Cecil from Miami, Florida. Well, welcome. Good night, Maryland fans. As you know, we are growing around the world, not just here in the United States, each and every day. And it's because of you in this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting us for nearly, not nearly 53 years, 53 years as of last week. We are in season two, Maryland's last day. You know, so many people surrounding Maryland's last day of her life, and they are all connected. So the question is, how and why, right? So uh, later in the hour, we will have the panel back. We are going to be talking about, uh, we're, we're going to start in these last uh, shows of Maryland's last day. We're going to be getting into the people that are around Maryland the last days of her life. And one of them was her press agent, Pat Newcomb. And uh, she was with her on that Friday night through the following day until she was told to leave by Dr. Greenson. At least that's the official story. But who was she? Uh, What was the story? What is fact that we know compared to outlandish rumors floating out there and maybe some potential theories? There's a lot of outlandish rumors out there. And when we start, uh, as you know, we always want to go to the fact, which we know. And if it is a theory, Let's just say it's a theory. Let's not say it's a fact and act as if we know because none of us were really there that day. But uh, before we get started, I have an exciting guest with me. Uh, You know, we've been profiling classic Hollywood and uh, some of the the legends of Hollywood. And uh, she's a legend in her own own right. She's uh, definitely in the generations of of legends. Uh, I have... Uh, exciting guest, actress, singer, model, photographer, Sherry Belafonte is with us, and she'll be talking about her career, and we'll be highlighting a little bit of her dad's career, and then later in the in the half hour, we'll be talking with uh, Robin Alexis, who uh, is a psychic medium, who will be talking to us about Marilyn in the afterlife, so we've got a very full, full-on show, so, uh, and then we've also have a comment from one of our uh, listeners, Sydney from Sydney, says, 
Sincere and many thanks for your presentation. The magic of Marilyn is known around the world. She brings joy and education uh, to humanity. And isn't that the case? I mean, a lot of people don't know that about Marilyn. I know you Marilyn fans know this. She was certainly a humanitarian and uh, a woman before her time. Also have a special thanks to Elisa Jordan from LA Women's Tours. Uh, she, I had a chance to go on her Marilyn Monroe tour this last Sunday. And for those of you who are either going to be in the LA area Uh, in the coming months, October 4th and February 14th. It's a very educational tour, and it's not just about the last day and what happened to Marilyn. It really goes into the specific areas of Los Angeles, and I highly recommend it. She also does a a tour of The Doors, and uh, one of, uh, if not Marilyn's favorite actress, Jean Harlow. So go to LAWomentours.com. So before we get started, also, a lot of special thanks to Voice America Radio Network's Randall Libero, our executive producer, Mike Surgit, our engineer, and Jennifer, our social media person. Couldn't do this show without you. So uh, with that, my special guest, Sherry Belafonte, as I said, American actress, model, writer, singer. You know, I before I was going, I was just telling her I was going through her bio, and she's done so much and has had such a cl- eclectic c- career. I think we have to hear from her exactly what it, what we should highlight and what not, because I think we could be on the on the radio for a couple of hours. So, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's just so interesting when you go you go into somebody's life, you know, and their life story and history. Um, tell us a little bit about, because uh, I, I was reading something about at four years old, you knew that the camera was going to be part of your life. Uh, how did you know that, and how did you get started? What's interesting is when I was a kid, I was the poster child for attention deficit hyperactive, although they didn't call it that 60 years ago. <laughs> they just called it lunatic, I think, or insane or crazy. And I was always buzzing around. I was always wired up. And my grandmother, my parents actually separated when my mother was pregnant with me, which a lot of people don't know. So I didn't really yeah. grow up with Harry. But... um my grandmother came to live with us because my mom sort of became the daddy figure. She was going to work all the time, and Nana was the grandma that sort of was at home with the cooking and the cleaning and the washing. And I think part of trying to contain me, my grandmother thought, all right, for this Christmas, I'll because I kept looking at pictures, and I was glued to the television. You know, she would come in, and she'd see my face just pressed up against the TV set. We had one of those little (laughs) tiny black and white, well, of course, that's all we had back then were black and white TVs. So somehow she got the idea that perhaps one of these little cameras, you could order it in the back of of a catalog. It was a little brownie camera. Remember the one that had the fan? Uh, We'd plug the little light bulb into it, and it would just blow. She got that for me as a present, and I started taking pictures all the time. Now, they weren't brilliant pictures, but I was so glued, and I think she finally could see that I was in eyesight of her because I was so glued to this camera, I wouldn't have gone very far. They didn't have to worry about me running out <laughs> into the street in front of a bus, which I, almost, which I did when I was two. Um, but, of course, some, the hand of God, my grandmother used to say, reached out and grabbed me and pulled me back. But uh, I, from that point on, you know, my next camera, my next important camera was an Instamatic. I mean, yeah, I'm really going back in history now. Probably half your uh, <laughs> listeners are not even going to know what I'm talking about. But then I got an Instamatic, and then when I was 
10, I got my first real camera, which was a Pentax. And then when I was 12, I was in boarding school. I'd gone away to boarding school, and uh, my father had by then decided we, they all figured all right Sherry's the picture taker in the family so my dad then gave me uh, my first Canon AE1 which was you know which was a professional camera it was a hand me down from him but nevertheless it was it was really the thing that launched my career other than the little step by step stuff that my grandmother did getting me started but uh, that was it i was glued to the camera i went to carnegie mellon um University in, in Pittsburgh, and always had anticipated being in production and behind the scenes. You know, I never thought of being an actress. I did take acting when I was in school because my feeling was that if you were going to be uh, a part of the entertainment industry, it, it was it was really important to get all facets to understand what everybody did so that you'd have an appreciation for actors, and actors would have an appreciation for directors, and directors would have an appreciation for DPs and, and you know, sound people, and on and on and on. And ultimately, I ended up getting my degree in production and design from Carnegie Mellon, but then when I came out to California, I was discovered, so to speak. Actually, it was because I had taken my camera. A friend of mine was doing a movie with Tony Danza. Her name was Chris Soman. She was, had a small part in this movie, and I think it was called Hollywood Nights. And she said, oh, come down and, you know, bring your camera and maybe you can get a picture of some of the stars and, and, you know, you can get me on the set. That would be great. I'll have these pictures that I can put in my portfolio for later. And this particular day they were doing a, you know, a group scene. It was a bunch of kids that were hanging out at the car wash. And when I arrived on the set just to take pictures, the makeup artist sort of dragged me into the makeup room thinking <laughs> that I was part of the extras in this party scene. And I went, no, 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 I'm just here to take pictures. And she said, well, you know, you should be modeling. You should be doing commercials. And I kind of slept it off at first, but then she said, you could be making a lot of money. And, you know, when you're 22 years old and you're hearing, wait, there's money that could be involved with this? And that's how I made the transition to well, be on camera. And I always and, had and, a camera in my back pocket, but, you know, that's, that's yeah, what launched my face and my career. And, and you know what's so interesting, too, Sherry? I always say this to people. Usually what you're going to do is somewhere around you floating. And at four years old, you know, uh, smart grandmother, right? Uh, you know, yeah. put that camera right in front of you. And, and, and it really has been such a big part of your life. And also for people that don't know, too, you, you kind of skipped over it a little bit. You know, you you definitely are a smart one too. You skipped a couple of grades too, so you you don't only just have the 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 uh, beautiful conceptual and visual uh, talents, but you also have the ability in terms of the the book smarts too. So I mean, I, I think that uh, all the way around, there's a lot of intelligence coming from your family. There there certainly was. My mother was um, a child psychologist and family therapist. She's passed away, but. She was on the White House Commission for Native American Affairs because she was half Native American. And she was also on the White House Commission for Aging and Youth and was one of the creators of Head Start. So a lot of people, you know, certainly understand that Harry was a huge part of my life. But uh, people in Washington, D.C. certainly know how big a faction Marguerite was uh, to society as well. So I had it coming from both sides, from all angles. Yeah. So I, I kind of re- had you, to buck up. <laughs> you you really did and do. I mean, you know, when I look at your, you know, not only in terms of your tele- television career and some of the things that you've done, obviously, you know, uh, a lot of people know you from hotel, but you've, you know, you're still doing a lot of stuff in regards to not only behind the camera, but in, in front of the camera as well, hosting, uh, also a lot of stuff. But one of the things that I find interesting in terms of the 
the parallels. Obviously, we're talking a lot about Marilyn Monroe, but mm-hmm. your family um, embodies it, which is the humanitarian aspect of of life and really wanting the betterment of society. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I was seven years old when she died, and um, a funny twist to the story is that my mother had brought me out to California. It was one of those, you know, one of those dark moments in your life where Dad wanted me to go with him on, because he had two other children as well. He had my younger brother and my younger sister with his wife, Julie, and then my older sister, Adrian, who was with, you know, who's my full sister. She, she was born uh, six years before me. Um, but she was getting ready to go away to school, and my, I, my father wanted me to come stay with him for a while. And I dug in my heels. I didn't want to do it. So my mother actually flew me out to California. We were, she and I both came out to California, and we were hiding. We were actually staying with a friend of hers <laughs> who lived not far from Maryland. And I remember that day that, wow. you know, that it came out. I was seven years old, and we were, it was in August, and it was before school was starting. And, um, and I remember the news and everything that Marilyn Monroe had been found and that she had died. And there was lip flap that was going on. You know, I certainly was young enough. I didn't quite understand what was going on. But Dad was very good friends with, with the Kennedys. You know, a lot of people yeah. know or don't know that he actually made the introduction and supported and was the initial um, founding of the civil rights situation uh, and Martin Luther King's whole civil rights actions. And he was the one that prompted Bobby and, and John F. Kennedy to have a conversation and to understand that civil rights was here to stay. So there was a lot of political stuff that was going on in my family as well as yeah. the Hollywood stuff. So I remember just, like I said, inherently feeling certain things <laughs> that, you know, something's up. I don't know what this is all about, but there's definitely something, you know, going on here. And well, as, lo and behold, now years and years and years and years have passed, there's a friend of mine by the name of Chuck Murphy who is in control of Andre Didianis's photographies, wow. uh, photography, all of his photography. And he, Andre Didianis wrote a memoir. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but he was really the very first person that shot Norma Jean. Yeah. Shot yep. photos of her. So he's Some got of the best of photos. Chuck now has all these photos that Andre Didianis did. He has this, um, this memoir that Andre had written about his first travels with Marilyn and, I mean, oh, I'm sorry, with Norma, <laughs> Norma Jean. <Yeah. laughs> and um, he's, now, he's given it to me. I have a copy of it, and now I'm trying wow. to actually compile it and put it together and figure out how to make a movie out of it. <laughs> Well, that would be amazing. That would be, I mean, definitely amazing. And also, you know, when you look at, you know, uh, Norma Jean and, and Marilyn Monroe, civil rights, your family, uh, definitely in civil rights. JFK, I've, I'm not sure if this is true. This is something I read. I always like to make sure it's fact. JFK, that your dad was actually in a commercial and ended up being the cultural advisor for the Peace Corps. Is that correct? That is true. I, I, okay, that's, good. It's interesting you're saying that because now as you're saying that, I went, you know, I think she's right. <laughs> I do know that well, he was a culture advisor for the for the Peace Corps. He's very much involved with that. Like I said, my mother started was one of the founders of the Head Start program. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on in my family, and you know, over sixty years, you forget half of it until somebody else brings it up to you. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, just even that connection. You know, here we are talking about you and your career and all the stuff that you've been doing, and then uh, about your dad and legendary. You know, both sides of your family. And we're 
we're learning today. Um, you know, one of the things that your dad said, and I just, I love this because Marilyn really, you know, too, was was speaking out uh, back in the day. And I'm not sure if this, you know, sometimes these quotes people, uh, it would be something I think your dad would say. It says, I've always looked at the world and thought, what can I do next? Where do we go from here? How can we fix it? And that's still how I look at the world because there's so much to be done. The whole world is caught in a human suffering and those who professed about making a change have not come up with the answers. We have failed in terms of the moral side. We have to do more. What do you say to that? Well, I think that I think if the more things change, the more things stay the same. And I find that that's also true, but also false. You know, we have done a lot today. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are not big fans of Obama, and I understand their side of it. But by the same regard, he'll go down in history. You know, I was just watching right before calling him, I mean, you know, getting ready to talk to you. Uh, my husband has Andrea Mitchell on TV. He had a T-vote on. And, and when I came up into the office, you know, we are now raising the flag at Cuba. You know, this was something that nobody had anticipated was going to happen, certainly not in my lifetime, although... I had gone to Cuba a number of times with Harry, and the last time I went was just a few short years ago. Um, He wanted me to come down. I'll never forget, because the first time he wanted me to go to Cuba with him, it was a whole big family thing. We had to surrender our passports for six months. We had to go to, um, (laughs) to Canada for six weeks before we finally got permission for all of us to travel down to Cuba, and I don't even know. Again, it's one of those clandestine things you're not quite sure how it all comes to. You just kind of go with the flow and hope for the best. Um, and it was such a long, involved thing to go to Cuba the first time I went 35 years, 30, 35 years ago. And this last time, just a couple of years ago, Dad calls me on a Thursday, and he goes, Sherry. And I go, yeah, you know, what's up? He goes, I need you to go to Cuba with me. And of course, right away, I'm going, oh, God, you know, you know, who can plan six months in advance or something like yeah. that? Yeah. And that's what is going on in my head. And I'm going, well, you know, and Sam is sitting across me. He goes, what? I said, Dad wants me to go to Cuba with him. And Sam's going, well, you got to go, Sherry. He's, you know, he's in his 80s. And I said, all right, Dad, you know, when? He said, Monday. <laughs> I went, Monday? Said, what was that, like Friday? Thursday. What, you know, Thursday. What, 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 what do you mean Monday? Yeah. He said, yeah, just fax your passport to Lauren, who was his assistant. He said, she'll get all the paperwork done and get on a flight. Meet me in Miami Sunday night. We'll take a flight out Monday morning. Wow. And I went a flight out from Miami. And sure and behold, you know, this is just a few, like I said, four or five years ago, because he wanted me to come down and shoot him um, interviewing Fidel uh, for this HBO special that he did that was on television just a couple of years ago called um, it, My Song. Yeah. Uh, oh, Sing yeah. Your Song. My yeah. Song is his book, sorry. So Sing Your Song, which is this HBO documentary about him. So yeah. he said, yeah, get your camera and, you know, come on down. We're going to fly in. We're going to... Fidel, blah, blah, blah. And I remember at that point thinking, wow, you know, the, the leaps and bounds that we've gone over these past, you know, these past years where now I can, you know, on a yeah, Thursday, so- say, plan a book, plan a trip to go to Cuba on Sunday, uh, taking a flight out. There's seven, there were already seven chartered flights that left from Miami to go to Havana. It's just a, it's like flying from here to Las Vegas. It's a 45, 55-minute flight. And I remember then thinking, this is, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of something that's going to really be big in the next few years. And sure enough, like I said, watching them raise the flag today, 
just made big, me gave me chills. Yeah, it's big. So. Ch- it's big changes and big progress. And I, I, I just want to have. I, I, I've got to have you back because there's just so much more information here, and we've got to go to break. But what, what's next for you? What, what are you doing now that you could tell us? Uh, you know, obviously you're doing a lot of things, but what's, what's uh, something significant that you're working on that you'd like to tell us about? There's a few things with it. You know, there's so many projects that you always have, especially in our industry. You sort of have a bowl of spaghetti, and you're throwing it up in the air, and you're just waiting to see what <laughs> sticks. But, you know, exactly. I'm doing a lot of voiceover stuff. Um, there's a couple of projects that are documentaries that are being done. There's one on uh, Mayor Tom Bradley that was just done that I did the voiceover for. I'm getting ready to play a cow in a kid's movie, <laughs> the voice. Not, I'm, not, I'm not actually playing the cow, although I have gained a couple of pounds, but I'm not quite that big yet. The, the voice but of the cow, yes. I'm voicing the cow. Um, I'm always working with the Lily Claire Foundation, which is for children with neurogenetic conditions like autism, Down syndrome, Williams syndrome. So we have projects and movies that we're trying to fund and get started so that some of the funds can come back into the Lily Clara Foundation. Uh, there is so much. I've, I've written a script that's now being shopped around about Mary Fields, who was the first black stagecoach driver. I wouldn't be playing her, uh, but hopefully we'll, you know, we'll get that under, under way. And, um, you know, I'm just hoping that's for the best of, of everything that's going on. <laughs> Well, lots of stuff, and I just want to say thank you so much for taking uh, some time out and giving us a little snapshot, but we're going to have to have you back because there's, there's so much more synergy between you and, and also Marilyn and the humanitarian aspect as well, not just the creativity. So thank you again, Sherry, for being with us today. Thank you, Nina. Have a great day. All right, you too. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we'll be back with Robin Alexis up next. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Math Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. With me is Robin Alexis, a psychic medium. Many of you know, uh, may know this, but some of you may not. Marilyn was into philosophy as well as metaphysics. And in researching a psychic medium for our investigation team, I kept being told about this woman who can channel Marilyn. And I must say that there's a lot of mediums out there. They cannot pick her up. Uh, as you know, uh, Kenny Kingston was Maryland psychic, and uh, we know uh, during his time, you know, he says that, you know, he's uh, a psychic to the stars. He's now passed uh, as of uh, last year, June 30th. But one of the things that he said was kind of interesting. He said his tales of how uh, Elvis Presley was studying medicine, W.C. Fields was training to become an accountant, and Monroe, who was happily reunited with her former husband, Joe DiMaggio, and immersed in the study of philosophy. So we're going to find out with Robin. What does she think about that? So welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, so you know, uh, we won't get into Elvis Presley and W.C. Fields, but uh, what do you say to, uh, you know, Kenny Kingston, who, uh, you know, said that, that Marilyn was reunited with Joe and immersed in philosophy? I have on occasion seen Marilyn with Joe on the other side. So I, I think I would affirm that. She seems to be extremely involved in her humanitarian work and her ongoing communication to humanity and and lifting the consciousness of humanity. So I guess I could call that philosophy. Um, Yeah. The way he described it, uh, you think she was sitting down with a book. And no, that's not (laughs) it. She's very active. She's an activist. (laughs) Well, you know, I would say that based on the fact that, you know, what we talk about on this show, when you're out and about with the Maryland fans, you know, there's there's one of the things I think that in terms of the tone of the show that we're, we're certainly trying to get across the humanitarian and also the human side of of Maryland. So if she's active, uh, actively speaking through all of us, uh, you know, and getting us to look at ourselves a, a little bit uh, deeper, I think, uh, you know, hats off to f- uh, philosophy. So, uh, so, so with that said, you know, last week was a big week for Marilyn. You know, we uh, were on the 53rd anniversary of her passing a lot of times, and I, I and I like where it's going is that we're celebrating her life, not just her death. What is and how does she feel about it? Oh, she is incredibly grateful. Uh, she said it was just fun, and it's 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 exciting for her to see something that she uh, rooted and it, 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 that she rooted and, and took hold when she was alive. But now it's flowering uh, after she's deceased, and she's such a participant on this ongoing experience. It's just proof that love transcends death. She's very, very, very grateful. And she appreciates wow. being respected, you know, as a person and as a soul and, and as a light, not just as an actress. Well, it's interesting, you know, and, and a lot of people, you know, including myself, you know, we have these visions of, of uh, you know, heaven and hell and afterlife. And you hear this a lot uh, from psychic mediums that we're almost interacting in, in a similar fashion on the other side. So, for example, you know, you said, oh, yeah, I see her from time to time, you know, with Joe DiMaggio. How exactly does that work? Is it an energy that you're picking up or do you actually see them conversing or both? I am clairvoyant. So I literally do see them uh, when they're communicating with me. Like right now in my third eye, I can see Marilyn and Joe. And actually, there's quite a few other spirits uh, behind them. So it seems there's quite a group that's has an ongoing commitment to getting things straight. 
uh, from the other side. Well, let's let's talk uh, about somebody that's actually on this side, which is, uh, you know, and she's heavily a confident because a lot of the, the people that may have known what happened to Marilyn are on the other side now. Right. So right. but we have somebody that we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes that is on this side, Pat Newcomb, which was her press agent. Um, how does Marilyn feel about Pat and what was their relationship uh, in, as, as you're getting from Marilyn? Uh, Marilyn has said that Pat is a true friend and confidant, and that uh, Pat uh, knows that there are some people and some organizations that are still vibrant that cause Pat to be careful uh, on um, what she says or doesn't say. Uh, and her loyalty and trust is with Marilyn, and, and she doesn't want to engage with the, with the funhouse mirrors. She just... Um, Marilyn actually is saying that when Pat goes to the other side and drops her body, that she'll be the first one there (laughs) reading her. So they have a a very profound, deep, and probably rare uh, relationship. Wow. Yeah, I would, I would, you know, it's a lot of people, you know, especially in the media here, you know, because Pat has been virtually quiet about it, it, you know, she's one of those kind of mystery people. So it's been interesting. And Marilyn, you know, um, because she was her press agent, obviously, she was around her, but to to uh, pick up that uh, from, uh, from Marilyn, and that's what you're getting. I think that's an interesting because I think that's what also, you know, Pat would say is that obviously, she could have sold her story from millions you know Liz Smith um, uh, the columnist is 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 friends with Pat Newcomb and it was one of the rare times that she actually did an interview and basically you know has declined doing any types of profiting from Marilyn in that story which in an, in of itself says a lot you know yeah it speaks volumes yeah, so she, she can't be bought that's for sure and, and Marilyn just adores her and really has grown to appreciate her even more from the other side. Because Marilyn's been able to sort out a little bit better who really was there and who wasn't for her. Well, you know, uh, obviously, in terms of looking, uh, you know, at this 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 side of the juncture uh, of uh, spirit world versus you know material world, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be a little bit tongue in cheek here, but we talk about we've been talking about this darn washing machine, washer washer and dryer. Are you picking up from Marilyn at all that she had a washer and dryer, or is that just something that we should just move on from? Because that does the reason why it's because it's, it in in that there's a lot of theories that go along with that. So, what are you picking up in regards to that? Well, when I ask Marilyn that question, she gets a big smile on her face and her her head's a little cocked to the side, and she's like, "Of course, I had a washer and dryer." Um, so I asked her, you know, where was it, and she's telling me she can't recollect whether it's in a garage or some other like little outbuilding or something but she seems to have a memory of a repairman who was there several times uh and she's showing me images of her not only working him only not only working with a washer but with a dryer as well and uh, it seems to me uh, or it seems to her that he had to leave and come back several times perhaps he was getting apart um and so I would uh, look for some records of was there a repairman that had been to the house, perhaps and on then, numerous occasions. 
And then I got a question for you, because I know sometimes, you know, I remember James Van Prague saying this to me one time when I was interviewing him. He said, sometimes it's like looking through a pool and sometimes it's crystal clear and sometimes, you know, it's wavy. So it, could you also be getting that she is talking about an appliance, but not necessarily a washer and dryer? Absolutely. And I've also wondered if Marilyn was talking specifically about the house that she, you know, was found deceased in. Um, but I haven't gotten any more clarity on it than this. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of interesting sometimes, you know, when, when you get information is that it's the information you're getting and it may not be as specific as you're wanting it to be. So, you know, again, that mystery still continues. We'll still, st- you know, seek out in terms of uh, the Maryland and the and the washer and dryer to this case. Uh, is there anything else, uh, Robin, before we, uh, we, we move on here that you want us to know in regards to Marilyn and her thoughts for us? Well, a couple of things. First of all, she was delighted with the interview with Sherry and Sherry bringing up some of the older things, like the old black and white TV, because when I asked Marilyn about the washing machine, she started remembering the old ringer washing machine. (laughs) So uh, I got a kick out of that. And Marilyn is also uh, quite frequently bringing up how painful it was for her to have had miscarriages. And that's something that I think we all need to really understand. And actually, Marilyn's coming in right now and saying that for all women out there who are, you know, trying to get pregnant and they can't or they've had a miscarriage, she's just kind of giving a shout-out to them and letting them know that, that she feels for them. She's uh, also uh, very grateful to, I think you called the program uh, Friends Against Bullying. Oh, that- yes, the Friend Movement. Yes. The friend movement, yeah. yeah. Um, she's very much an advocate of that, and she's just so grateful to everyone. She actually has a lot more to say, but we'll uh, just know that she has a <laughs> lot more to say. And she's just <laughs> mwah, mwah, blowing kisses to everybody. Aww. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Robin, for sharing a little insight uh, with Mar- with us from Marilyn uh, on the other side. So, uh, as you know, Marilyn was heavily into metaphysics and philosophy and reading and learning and growing. So, thanks again for sharing a little Marilyn with us from the other side. Thank you for having me, Nina. All right. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We are going to be shifting gears and talking a little bit more about Pat Newcomb. But I have my life bites for the week that I'd love to share with you today. It's called, uh, it's a quote, success is how high you bounce when you hit bottom. It's from George S. Patton. You know, how many times have we hit a wall or a tragedy and it hits and we think we can't make it through? You know, I don't know about you, but I have been there. And we all know in Marilyn's life, she was there many times. So with all the self-help out there, being that we live in a world of perfect media pictures each and every day, we too need to, we sometimes think that we need to have that perfect life. Well, guess what? It's not possible and it's not real. If we look at Marilyn, the real person was Norma Jean, and yet the perfect persona was a creation called Marilyn Monroe. There lies the conflict when difficult times hit. We don't know who we are and how we should react. And that's why taking time to reflect and being honest with who you are is so important. Perfection should not be the goal, whether you are a celebrity or not. But accepting all the parts of you, even the shadow sides, can lead to more of a balanced you. The goal cannot be 100% happy all the time. It's unrealistic. 
Instead, let's focus on the lesson, the growth. So here's some questions you could ask yourself if you're going through a very difficult time. How can you better yourself through this situation? What is this problem or challenge trying to teach me? How can I focus on the resolve rather than the problem? And do I have enough truth tellers in my life? You know, the challenge with any celebrity, including Marilyn, is when they are in a downward spiral, they don't have enough truth tellers in their life. Instead, they're surrounded by people who will tell them what they want to hear and allow them to act out, even if it's not in their best interests, which makes it even more difficult to get the right help. So for today, welcome the truth tellers in your life that can truly support you. Maybe even make a list of your go-to people, you know, the people in the middle of the night that you can call and you know they're going to be there. So if you find that you do not have the right support, reach out and ask Sometimes the best support I have received over the years are from people I don't even know that well. You know, they're like those little angels that come to help us on our way. As I said many times on this show, Marilyn's life will stay in in tragedy if there's not transformation to the truth. So if you find yourself in a major difficulty, don't stay in the challenge. Focus on the solution, and that way, Your problem, too, can move from challenge or tragedy into healing and triumph. So on that note, I'm welcoming the panel back. Hi, panel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nina. Hi. Hi. Glad to have you here. So we have Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe. We also have Leslie Kasperowitz and Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Maryland. They've been with us, and we are talking about Pat Newcomb. So, Leslie, what can you tell us about this woman, Pat Newcomb? Who is she? Who was she? Uh, well, she was, as we know, Maryland's um, press agent, and she worked for the Arthur Jacobs Agency. And um, she had a long career in um publicity and also had some connections to the Kennedy family, um, obviously, which have led to a lot of questions about her loyalties um, from a lot of the conspiracy theorists. So she's become kind of this complicated character in Marilyn's life where she um, has been questioned in terms of what she knew about that day, whether she was there during the night, at what time she arrived. So she she's kind of this... Um, this complicated character that is hard to um, to figure, I think, because she's been so silent um, about what happened that day and because she's, you know, um, chosen to respect Marilyn's memory in that way. Unfortunately, I think that's opened a lot of doors for the conspiracies that she has been so quiet about it. Yeah, and it's a challenge, you know, because if you heard in the last segment, you know, um, according to psychic medium Robin Alexis, you know, that she has been very loyal and Marilyn looks at that as as loyal. Um, but to your point, when you're that silent, the challenge is, is that, you know, there's all this uh, stuff out there that's still lurking and, and leads to a lot of the conspiracy theories. Uh, Mary Jane, what's your thoughts on that? Um, kind of along the same lines. I think uh, Pat Newcomb was a excellent employee for Marilyn while she was alive. Um, she handled some uh, scandals and controversies very deftly with the press. 
Um, but she does become a very controversial figure because people believe that she is the last living person that really knows what happened, um, but she has maintained her silence and refuses to say anything. So, of course, when that happens, people tend to fill in the blanks with every crazy conspiracy you can imagine. Yeah, and I think that's where the challenge comes in. You know, we have to take a, a quick break here, and I'd also Gary Vitaco Robles, uh, who's had a chance to correspond with with uh, with Pat Newcomb, um, also can shed some light into into her. Uh, we also have a question from our audience member for the panel, so we'll take a quick break. We'll be back as we talk about Pat Newcomb. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Goodnight, Maryland. We're talking about Pat Newcomb, uh, but we have a quick question from one of our guests, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll throw this out to Mary Jane, but it might be the whole panel. Uh, does anyone know the family, uh, you know, history of Marilyn Monroe in regards to who they were um, besides her immediate family? Uh, does anybody know? Um, well, we could go back to her. Uh, she, she, she has lineage, um back to um, uh, Daniel Boone's tribe. Wow. Um, and I, I, we knew? know who her great-grandfather <laughs> was, Til, uh, Tilford Hogan. Um, we know her grandmother, her maternal grandmother, was um, Della Hogan. Um, her, if her father indeed was Stanley Gifford, he has ties into New England, um, possibly going back to the Mayflower. And there's been a link to um, pr- the first President George Bush. Wow. Wow. That's, that's quite a, that's, that's quite a, a hist- not, that's kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knew, you know what I mean? Uh, so, so Leslie, uh, let's get on to Pat Newcomb here, uh, in regards to, you know, there's, there's pictures of her being very, very distraught the day of the, the funeral. And then a few days later or a week later, she's, uh, 
you know, I think off on a boat with the Kennedys and she's laughing. Um, there's, there's all the speculation out there. Let's, let's try to clear up some of the speculation versus fact. Sure. Well, you know, the, this photograph that shows her on the yacht with the Kennedys um, a few days after the funeral is often brought up as some sort of evidence that she was not truly upset about Marilyn's death. And I just wanted to address that because that, that I find that very bothersome. Um, everybody grieves in their own way, and sometimes spending some time you know, laughing and trying to focus on life instead of looking back on death is the way that people handle things. You have this one moment, this one photograph that happens to show her smiling and people are taking this as some evidence that she was in some way involved or that she, you know, didn't really care about Marilyn. And I just don't think that it holds up. I don't, I don't think that that proves anything. So I just, that, that photograph just, it, it gets brought up time and time again. And I just wanted to, to say that I don't think that it's evidence of anything really. Well, I think the thing is, is that anytime something is taken out of context and we don't know what the context was, we don't know what she was laughing about, right? So so it right. would be one thing if she was laughing about what had just happened and then you caught that that laugh, but we don't know that. It could have been anything. And, and I certainly, uh, through... Through morning, have have laughed, cried, and everything in between. You know what I mean. So, right, so I, right. I don't think we can put that as fact. The other thing that's uh, that's floating out there, and it was one of my preconceived uh, misconceptions, was that um, you know she went to go work for the Kennedys right after, and here she was a Hollywood press agent. But Gary, maybe you can uh, give us a little insight into her background <laughs> and why that might have come to to pass. Well, her, her, she's from Maryland, and her father was Carmen Newcomb, who was a lobbyist who represented large corporations of the coal industry, including a corporation owned by George Skakel, who was uh, Robert Kennedy's wife, Ethel Skakel Kennedy. So she has that connection uh, to Washington. She attended Mills College. She was educated in a class by Pierre Salinger. He was a journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle. You know, we know him as um, the, uh, the White House press secretary under Kennedy and, and later Johnson. So she was doing research for him at some point, and um, then she became associated with public relations as early as 1954. And um, she is one of the um, first you know, successful women in this male-dominated uh, profession, and she created her own public relations company in 69 with uh, three other women, including uh, Lois Weber. So, you know, the only um, uh, other political um, function I think she served was when Pierre Salinger campaigned for the Senate in 64. She worked for him, and um, then she got uh, a job um, under George Stevens, Jr. as an information specialist for the United States Information Agency, which was um, actually a a film-related project that she worked for briefly before going into her own um, public relations firm. Well, and I think that, you know, um, you know, at the time, too, she was, uh, you know, she so she kind of went back and forth in regards to politics. And that's something, at least for myself, uh, when I first started learning about her and was much more skeptical about her, I sat there going to myself, you know, why in the world would she, you know, uh, and, and, and we don't know really if she was fired 
or if she, on her own uh, accord, um, left the Arthur Jacobs agency um, after Marilyn's death. And how how long after did she leave the uh, leave uh, her her position? Pretty quickly, within a matter of weeks. Yeah, so, you know, uh, there's, and, and this is where we get into speculation, guys. I really want to say this because, you know, we're all talking and it's, it could be opinion right now. And so what we're saying right now is, I have to say, is not fact. And what I'm about ready to say is not fact. There are rumors out there that she left or, or whatever or is because um, she knew too much. Um, and so for her to leave, um, you know, at that point, uh, that was the best possible solution for her. Uh, Mary Jane or Leslie, do you have any comments about that? I think that's absolutely silly. (laughs) Um, She, at the time Marilyn died, Marilyn was her client and took up all her time. You know, she did a lot of work for Marilyn. So when Marilyn died, what was there for Pat Newcomb to do anymore as a press agent? Now she was, but she was, she was, she, you know, left her job for a time. Yeah, but and, she was also and, representing other people. It wasn't just Marilyn. Marilyn was her m- main focus, though, at that time. Um, and, you know, it, they were friends as well as, you know, employee and employer. And yep. I'm sure she needed to leave to have some time to grieve and refocus and get things together. And there is a rumor that Pat was dismissed from the Arthur Jacobs agency because outside Marilyn's house that morning, she was screaming at the press and calling them vultures and just hysterical that her friend had died. And from a press agent perspective, that's not really professional. You're supposed to, you know, court the press. So that is a rumor. I don't know if that's the true reason or not, but I don't see anything nefarious with Pat taking a leave of absence. And it's not like she never returned to that career. I mean, I could see maybe start a conspiracy if she stepped out of public relations forever because of it, but she didn't. She started her own agency. Well, and just in terms of, like I said, this is speculation, this is my own opinion here, is that if if I were, if my dear friend, and, 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 and for people that don't know who Pat Newcomb is, you know, obviously a press agent, but they spent that Friday night together, right? Didn't they go out to a dinner on Friday night? Yeah, and spent, and, yeah, and then she, mm-hmm. she, yeah, La Scala, and then she spent the night and was with her throughout uh, most of the day until the official record is until Dr. Greenson around four or five o'clock asked her to leave or six o'clock. So I think that, you know, the reality is that if you're just a press agent, you're not going to be spending the night at somebody's house. So I think we can say that, safely say that they were as, you know, Marilyn's friends that she was in her inner circle. Um, Gary, you know, you've had a chance to talk to her. Um, yeah. And, and, and tell us a little bit I about that. My objectivity. And I, and I guess I have to be transparent with all of you in the audience that I do, because um, I have been in contact with her. And, and although I can't say I know her personally, because we've never met in person, we do speak on occasion um, several times in the past 18 months. And you know, I can only tell you what, what my impression is, but she is a lovely, lovely lady. And you were talking about truth-tellers in our lives, and I really believe that Pat Newcomb was Marilyn's truth-teller. I think she was probably the healthiest person in Marilyn's life at the time of her death. I think that she truly loved her and cared about her and supported her and protected her. And in all of my conversations with her, I 
can have no other uh, impression of her but as holding Marilyn's best interest. And I really believe that she was devastated when Marilyn died, and I think it took her an extremely long time to recover from it and and to reach um, a resolution and putting it to rest. And I think it really hurts her the way Marilyn's um, covered in the media. I I don't think she could even tolerate um, seeing the shows or or, or reading the books. So when when I talk to her, you know, I have to be very tactful because I don't want to hurt her. And in talking to um, Pat Newcomb, it's as if you're, you're talking about a deceased family member, like a sister or a daughter. This is very um, sensitive. And um, I think she was like Marilyn's family. I, you know, Marilyn didn't have many uh, same-age single female friends in her life, mostly older maternal uh, figures like uh, Natasha Lytez, Paula Strasberg, you know, Mae Reese. Um, or younger friends, or married uh, women friends. But, you know, Pat was probably her closest contemporary friend. And if, you know, if you met her, you know, Pat Newcomb, she's very intelligent, she's articulate, she's educated, she could be very direct, she has a great sense of humor, Um, she's very uh, politically aware and has convictions, she believes in civil rights, and, you know, she loves Maryland. She has the most soothing voice. And when I talk to her, I imagine what it was like for, for Marilyn to have her in her life. And I feel very grateful that Marilyn um, had Patricia Newcomb in her life. I think she's well, a true and loyal friend. But, you know, that's my opinion and my perspective because I'm kind of cl- uh, close to this issue. Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, when we look at the things that we do know, um, she's been extremely loyal and, uh, you know, and, and has not sold out. And it could be, at this point, I'm going to say this, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Kennedys um, in terms of power um, are, are not as, as uh, prevalent as they were back in 1962 or even 10 or 20 years ago. I'm not saying that they don't have a, a voice in, in our culture, but it's not the same, right? So if, if she really wanted to, she could have sold out, and she didn't. And for mm-hmm. me, that's my opinion, that says a lot. The difficulty that we have sometimes in this, in this story with Pat Newcomb is that you have the story that Marilyn was upset with, with, um, with Pat because she slept in until 12 o'clock and Marilyn did not. Um, there is a, a theory, and I say a theory out there, that because Bobby Kennedy was there that day, and this could this is that Pat was trying to, to uh, I guess, uh, instill some, some uh, uh, you know, if you want to say, uh, you know, direct lines of communication, stop it, and that's why she was upset with her. What do you guys say, because that, that theory is a, is a pretty strong theory that's out there. That's a theory that someone made up to try and make the rest of the Kennedy conspiracies fit into place. It's just, I mean, I won't even call it speculation because there's no basis, in fact, with it. And none I, and whatsoever. I think Pat spoke to it. I think she spoke to that in, in Anthony Summers' book, and, and she said that Marilyn was upset about a lot of things, things of which she didn't even have knowledge. That, and and she also indicates to me that she's very aware that that Marilyn was in a lot of pain during that period, and there were, there was a lot to be for Marilyn to be upset about, some of which she knew and some of which she didn't. 
So yeah. um, there's lots of explanations uh, for, for Marilyn's uh, strong emotions. Yeah, that day. And and I think that that's a really important point because people want to make it very simple. You know, oh, she was upset because she was, asleep, you know, couldn't sleep or she was upset because, you know, she was trying to, to, to give Marilyn some direct talk here. And the reality is, is that when you are dealing with uh, mental disorders and you are having a, a strong insomnia, uh, you know, uh, you know, issues in terms of lack of sleep, um, you know, your irritability, your ability to to, to, you know, change on a dime is, is going to be in place. And we can't take that out of the equation because that's something that we actually do know as fact. And so I just, you know, I think it's important as we lay the foundation of these people that we take out the, the notion of, you know, these are, are, are people that were out to get Marilyn. Um, there's not a lot of fact Right now, and if anybody has fact out there that can say what we're saying right now differently than what we're talking about, and I'm not talking theory, guys. I'm not talking theory. There's plenty of theories out there. But if anybody has something as, as it relates to fact, open to hearing it. But we got to get out of this loop of, you know, just labeling people certain ways because it's been told a hundred different times in a hundred different ways. So with that said, um, Leslie, what would you like us to know about Pat Newcomb that we might not already know um, just in terms of our kind of closing thoughts about her? Um, I think that when you look at Pat Newcomb, you have to remember that she was one of the was one of the last people to see Marilyn alive, and so it's easy to believe that she knows more than she does. Um, and some of her actions afterwards, leaving her job and you know going to hang out with the Kennedys, have have raised some eyebrows. But if you look at it from a different perspective, you have to think she was there within hours of Marilyn's death. The guilt that she must have felt that she left and wasn't there and, you know, didn't see it coming, you know, that hindsight is twenty twenty sort of thing. I think that could drive someone to leave their job, to leave town, to need to escape for a while. And I think that that's the perspective that I see her from now when I look at her actions, you know, that day and afterwards. Okay. Mary Jane? Um, one thing that I, I wanted to make a point of is there's, you know, a certain line of conspiracies that people will allege that Pat never left, that she had been there all night and she participated in some sort of cover-up. And to that, I just want to say there are photographs of Pat Newcomb outside Maryland's gates at 6 o'clock in the morning on August 5th. And you look at that woman's face, and she is absolutely grieving and devastated. That is somebody who okay. just heard that her friend had died. She was, uh, you know, you can't look at yeah. those pictures and honestly think that she was there and and that she was faking her but grief that's, for the but press. That, but that's that's again, we're getting into opinion. You know, we have to say these are our opinions versus, uh, you know, fact. Right now, what we what we do know is that she had a, a extreme grieving face, and we don't know all the particulars. Um, but what we do know is that she has been a very loyal confidant to to Marilyn. We've got to close this week's show. I'm so sorry that we can't keep uh, going here. Next week, we are going to get into another person. Peter Lawford, and we will also get into Frank Sinatra and her relationship, Marilyn's relationship with with uh, with uh, Frank. So, until next time, I'm Nina Bosky. I'd like to thank all my guests. Remember, never stop dreaming. See you next. Time. 
Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. We'll be right back.